dismissed. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, 1 through 10 this morning. We're actually going to look, take a peek back at the few verses before that. We carry on and continue in our series on this glorious book. Hebrews chapter, let's start at verse, let's start at verse 18 of chapter 6 and read down to verse 10 of chapter 7. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of its spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal man, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. And as we read earlier, when it comes to Melchizedek, these are hard things to understand. And Father, yet the author of Hebrews decided to persevere and, and, and shared this hard things to understand because it was important for all of us to understand these things. So would you open our eyes to behold glorious things in this book? And in doing so, would you transform us? In your name I pray. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read these words, and we all with unfailed face, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's beholding the glory of Jesus, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. I love that verse because it speaks to as we behold Jesus, as we look at Jesus, as we contemplate Jesus, as we think about Jesus, we are changed and, and we become like him. Now with that thought in mind, the book of Hebrews, we've titled this series, Looking at Jesus or Considering Jesus. In the book of Hebrews chapter 3, you might remember this verse. The author writes, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Stop and think about him. Contemplate him. As the scriptures tell us who he is, wrestle with that. Think about it. Learn that. Drink it in. Consider Jesus, and the text goes on, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And there he, he, he says that Jesus is the high priest. Now, several times since then, he has, he has reiterated this. But now in chapter 7, he's going to dive in. And he has told us that we are to consider Jesus, we're to think about these things. Now, with that tucked in the back of your mind, I want you to remember Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, we read this. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10, and being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Next child in this church should be called Melchizedek, by the way. That's a great name. No? Great name. I think it's a great name. You can't spell it, but it's a great name. Next phrase, verse 11, chapter 5. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. How would you like it if I opened up the text and said, you know what, I really would like to explain this passage, but you guys are just too dumb to understand. He didn't quite say that, but he almost said that, didn't he? We get to chapter 7. And the writer of Hebrews is now going to explain to us who Melchizedek is. It's like he said, you're too dull of hearing, too hard for you to explain understand, but I'm going to tell you anyways. And the reason for that is is because he wants these people to consider Jesus. Now there's an element when it comes to who Jesus is that a child understands, right? But our God is, is in, in some ways unfathomable right? He's, he's, he's greater than us. He's beyond us. And there is a place for us as Christians to ponder and consider the difficult things. Because in doing so, we will grow and become like Him. The bottom line is I want you to hear what lies before us in chapter 7 
is of critical importance for your Christian walk. And it's not beyond you. In fact, I don't think it's beyond our children. It's important. Hebrews chapter 7. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting character because it's in Genesis 14 that we're introduced to Melchizedek. And there's really only three verses that talk about him. That's it. Four verses, 17, 18, 19, 24, sorry. That's it. And then in Psalm 110, the passage I read at the beginning of the, the service, Melchizedek's name is brought up again. David is thinking about Melchizedek, and as he's writing this song about the Messiah to come, he introduces Melchizedek. Now he's being moved by the Spirit of God to write this, but that's important. And Psalms 10 is, uh, is, Psalm 110 is puzzling for, for a number of reasons. One of them you might remember is Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he brings up Psalms 110. And, and he understands that the Pharisees all understand that Psalm 110 is about the coming Messiah that will come from David's lineage. And so he says to them, uh, Psalm 110 begins with, the Lord says to my Lord, the Lord, all capital L, so that's Yahweh, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who was, who is, and always will be, that God said to David's master. And then he talks about how this master is the king of everything over all the nations. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, if David's writing this, why would he call his child or his offspring my Lord? And the Pharisees don't have an answer. They're puzzled by that. But there's also another puzzling piece in Psalm 110, and that's this statement that's pulled out of Genesis, or he's thinking about Genesis, and he says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And what's strange about that is, in the Old Testament, there was kings and there was priests. And kings did not do priest jobs. And priests did not do kings jobs. That's the simple way of putting it. There was a king named Uzziah. He was, became king when he was 16 years old. We're told he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But when he became strong, we're told, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, that king became proud. And he thought that he could go and do the, the work of the priest. And so he enters the temple and he wants to burn incense. And the priest, the high priest, along with 80 other priests, stand up against him and say, you can't come in here. And he gets angry. And he's like, I'm going to do it anyways. And God strikes him with leprosy right there. And he spends the rest of his days as a leper, a castaway in that culture. A king was not supposed to do the work of the priest. The king's job 
Well, we're told in Deuteronomy 17 that the king was to be chosen by God. And so God chose David, and God says to David, your children will be upon this throne. They had to come from the people of Israel. They had to come from the brothers. And the king had to submit to the rules of God, so he had to copy the law of God and read it continually, and he was to be a ruler, a leader, under the umbrella of God's rules, God's law. That was the job of a king. The priests, Exodus 28, Leviticus chapter 4, tells, or were supposed to be coming from the Levite family. David's coming from Judah's family. They were brothers of Jacob. So Judah's family, and then there's David, and then now the, the, the lineage of the kingdom comes from David's root line. Then there was Levi's family, and they became priests. And more specifically, the high priest came from Aaron's family in Levi's clan. And so you have a family of priests, Aaron's family, Levites, and you have a family of kings, David's family. They were Judaites. Okay? The priests... Their job wasn't to rule. Their job was to bring, to come into the presence of God on behalf of the people. They were to bring an offering into the presence of God on behalf of the people so the people's sins could be forgiven and so that God would graciously remain and dwell with these people. Exodus 28, Leviticus 4. The priest would go into the holy place once a year on behalf of the people of God. Two very different jobs very clear the two were not to be brought together and yet Psalms 110 talks about a Messiah who's king and priest how does that work and when we get to Hebrews was Tom was unpacking for us Hebrews chapter 6 We would have looked at verses 18 to 20, and the very last verse in Tom's section was where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And all he's doing there is, again, for the third time, quoting Psalm 110, verse 4. An important psalm for the Hebrew author. And now in verse 1 of chapter 7, he's going to take us back to the story of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Okay? If you got your Bibles, let's go back there and let's read that story. It's going to take us all of about 13 seconds. Hardly anything about this, this critter, Melchizedek. Probably shouldn't call him a critter, should I? Forgive me. After his return from the defeat of Chedol or Mar. Anybody know how to say that? That's a tough one. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That's it. That's Melchizedek. He enters the story and he leaves the story. 
That's it. And yet in the book of Hebrews, it talks about this guy's pretty important. Now, to kind of give you the background of that story, Abram, he um, heard that his nephew Lot was captured in Sodom. And so not only was Lot taken, but it sounds like his family, probably a number of people in, in the city of Sodom, and all his possessions were taken. And Abram boldly grabs his 300, and actually pretty accurate, it's, it's uh, I think 318, yeah, 318 of his trained men. So you start beginning to realize that Abram was a wealthy man. He takes his 318 men and goes after these four kings who did this. He meets them, defeats them, rescues Lot, gathers all the possessions, and he starts heading back to bring the booty back to the people and even bring the people back to their city. And along the way comes King Sodom, who was just now rescued, or at least his city was rescued. And along comes Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now Salem, we believe, is none other than the Jerusalem that would become the city of David. And we're told that this Melchizedek is a king of that city. His name means king of righteousness. He's, he's the king over Salem, which means he's the king of peace. Interesting. And then it just plugs us in. He was a priest of God Most High. He was king and he was priest. Before the law came along, which said the two had to be separate. He was also not a Jew. He's also one of the only characters, if not the only character in the book of Genesis, that is a, an important character that we do not know where he came from or what happened to him. We know what happened to Adam. We know about Noah's background, and we know what happens to him. We know about where Abram came from, and we know about his descendants. We know about Isaac, and we know about his descendants. We know about Jacob and Joseph, and we know about their descendants. Because Genesis is all about genealogies. It tells us he was the son of, 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 and it goes on and on and on. But Melchizedek, we don't have that. We have these four verses, and then he just he shows up as fast as he disappears. And we're told he blesses Abram on behalf of God. And we're told that Abram gives him a tenth of all, of all the possessions, everything he brought back, he gives him one-tenth of. This was... This was this is quite a haul. Melchizedek accepts it and goes home. And then that's it. Until Psalm 110, and David's reflecting upon this passage as he's thinking about the Messiah that's supposed to come from his lineage. And he says that this Messiah will not only be king, a king of righteousness and a king of peace, but this, this, this Messiah will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. And then David doesn't say anything. And then we get to Hebrews. And in Hebrews, our author just simply says, short verse, that guy is all about Jesus. Let's unpack it, though. 
Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1. That was a long-winded intro, wasn't it? You'll be here for a while. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And, and to Abraham, a portion of tenth part of everything, he's first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. We've already said that. He is also king of Salem. That is, he's the king of peace. Doesn't that sound like Psalm 72 last week? A righteous king is coming. He'll have dominion from sea to sea. Verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy. And I don't think the passage is saying, some people think that this Melchizedek was, was Jesus that showed up in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament. That's possible. I won't be dogmatic one way or the other. But I don't think so. I, I think the point is that we just don't know his genealogy. And, and, and the reason we don't know his genealogy is because he is to be a picture of Jesus. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. In other words, he, 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 he left and, and disappeared as quickly as he came. And the, and the reason I say that is verse, the end of verse 3, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Some of you might read, he was made like the Son of God. The point is the Son of God, Jesus, is, is, is the... Uh, the thing that he points to. Jesus is actually superior, and Melchizedek was on purpose made to resemble, to look like, to foreshadow, to be a type of this Jesus. Following? Nobody said yes, so. <laughs> kind of? It's kind of like the temple. We're going to get to the temple as we get into Hebrews, and the temple was actually a shadow of what the heavenly reality is. Melchizedek is a, is a bit of a shadow that pointed to this Jesus. It's kind of like marriage, you know? Husband and wife were to be one, one flesh and, 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 and were to resemble and picture Jesus in the church. Well, Melchizedek was the same thing. Okay? That's verses 1 through 3. Then we get into verse 4 of chapter 7. He says, see how great this man was. He says, see how great Melchizedek was. I think this is why David was so fascinated with this character and included him in Psalm 110. Because he realized, whoever Melchizedek was, he had to be a great man. And the reason is because a really great man named Abraham the patriarch of the nation of Israel, the one that God said through him all the nations would be blessed, this Melchizedek blesses this Abraham. And not only does he bless him, but he receives a tithe from him. And the author is simply wanting us to understand something. Abraham was really great, but Melchizedek was greater. And according to verse 3, Melchizedek is made like who? Pardon? The Son of God. Throughout the the book of Hebrews, we're continually coming across this phrase that Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. 
He's better than Melchizedek, who was better than Abraham. Not only that, because he's getting somewhere, I think that's really important for us to grasp. And and next week is actually going to unpack it even more. But verse 5, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office of commandment into law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. You know those priests from the, the line of Levi? They, they're to collect offerings from their brothers, from the other Israelites. And they descended from Abraham, meaning they are to submit or inferior in some, some aspect to this Abraham who's greater than they. And then he uses some language that you see in the Old Testament, you see from that time period that we don't use often, but, the, but the, these Levites actually were in Abram's loins. They were, they were part of him. As Abram bows down and get, receives a blessing from Melchizedek, there's a sense where these Levites, who were his children, did the same. The point of the author is this, that that Melchizedek's priesthood is a priesthood that is superior to the priesthood of the Levites, the priesthood of the Jews that would continually go into the temple on a regular basis. Go into the very presence of God, a very important task, a very, a, a very an amazing t- thing that they were not to, to frown upon, but, or, but they would go into the very presence of God to offer up sacrifices so that the people of God could remain in the presence of God, the people of God could be forgiven. Their task was enormous, and, and the author of Hebrews wants these people to understand that these Levites, these priests that would have been going, were still sacrificing in Jerusalem at the time wants them to understand that compared to Melchizedek they were inferior now what's the big deal about that in chapter 5 and verse 6 we're told that this Jesus was appointed high priest chapter 5 verse 9 we're told that he was made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest somehow there's our eternal salvation is wrapped up into this Jesus who's high priest in the order, under the order of Melchizedek and then in chapter 6 verse 20 actually verse 19 we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he's wanting to say that this Jesus is the source of our eternal salvation, and this Jesus is a sure and steadfast anchor that gives us hope. And that's connected to the fact that he's our high priest and our king. Now these people, who are they? We don't know everything about them, but we know according to chapter 10 that they have suffered affliction. 
We know according to chapter 10 that their, 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 their land has been plundered. Their property has been taken from them. We know that they're struggling. Maybe we should go back to the old Jewish ways and go back to the old Jewish rituals and, and, and sacrifices, etc. They are in a time and in a period when the, the ground beneath their feet is beginning to shake and they wonder, is there another place I could put my feet Maybe back on the Jewish law and the Jewish system, maybe that's more secure. And the author is saying, no. Our, our high priest comes from the order of Melchizedek. He's both king and he's high priest. And he's going to unpack that even richer and deeper next week. But, but grasp that. The one who's king and the one who's priest that's the one who entered into the very presence of God and, 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 and obtained our redemption and our forgiveness. You say, okay, so I'm not, I'm not really tempted to go back to the Jewish ways. Probably not. I get that. But don't we live in anxious times? I've been reading been listening to other pastors and the anxiety level among our youth has never been higher that's that's mind-boggling actually we have so much and yet there's there's just this uptick in, in anxiety that's it's unbelievable and you say well maybe you're not there but there's a ground beneath your feet how solid is it? You know, I, I, I know I go back to this all the time, but a couple years ago when Lynn was diagnosed with cancer, it shakes your world. And the things that you so thought were certain and going to be there tomorrow, you begin to realize they may not be. The people that you thought was going to be there tomorrow, you realize they may not be. And whatever it is, whether it's our finances or whether it's our relationships or our, our, our homes, whatever it is, what's, what's, what's eternal? There's not much, is there? And I need something that I can put my feet upon and trust, will it be there when everything else disappears? And the author of Hebrews is telling us there is something that will be there. There is someone who will be there. His name is Jesus. We were already learning about him in Genesis chapter 14. Actually, as we looked at last week, Genesis chapter 3. He had been promised and promised and promised, and as we learned in Genesis chapter 6, he does not lie. What he says he's going to do, he's going to do. His promises are firm. And by the way, he's the very one who, given the promise, is not only king, who's in control of all things, but he's the high priest who went before us and opened the way so that we could be in the presence of God. That's a sure foundation. When I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, my mind needs to go to this Jesus and consider him and go, oh, 
thank you. I can rest in you. We don't know what's going to happen to our kids. We go there. We go to Jesus. We consider him. We look at his glory. And we marvel at who he is. And our author of Hebrews, but he's just beginning. I mean, next week, verses 11 to 28, he's just going to sink his teeth into this stuff. He's telling us, consider him. As a 19-year-old young man that thought he had the world by the tail, living with a family, who I thought they were kind of cool, they had cable TV. <laughs> we didn't have that. And I could go to the fridge and pull out a pop. I could never do that at home. The cool family. Their 17-year-old son was killed in a car accident while I was living with them. And, and, and I'll never forget this. Uh, I was prepared to move to another home in the church. And Daryl looked at me and says, All right, he, he, he brought me in. He says, could you, could you kind of continue to live with us? It'd be really helpful if you lived with us because we have a younger daughter, and it'd be good if the house isn't empty when we both go off to work, things get back to normal. It'd be good if, you know, just another person in the home. And so for the next year, as a 19-year-old, I began to watch this couple. I watched how they, they dealt with the grief of losing a child. I, I, I still can't imagine that. Um, there was a joy that was real, not fake. Uh, they talked about their pain. It was real. And yet something sustained them. Something got them up in the morning to take, go to the next day. Something put a smile on their face. And they began to realize it wasn't the cable TV or the Coke that was in the fridge. It was this Jesus. And already back then I began to realize that that's the person that I wanted to get to know so that when my difficult days would arrive, I would not be blown away in the wind. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Consider Jesus. He's greater than Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Truth is you love me far more than I ever could love you. Thank you. Father, we are a people... We're not mighty in size, not mighty in a lot of ways, but Lord, um, what's amazing is you love us. And I, I, I pray that, that we, with each, in, each passing day, grow in our grasp of the depth of your love and, 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 and grow in our grasp of how great you truly are and how firm a foundation we have if, if our roots go deep into you. If there's someone in this room who doesn't know you, Father, I pray that today would be the beginning of, of, of a, a getting to know you that would last a lifetime. But for each of us, Father, I pray that with each passing day, our longing and desire to know you and to be with you someday 
would only grow with intensity. Help us to marvel that you are our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you are our king. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every Sunday, we close our service around the table. And we do that because it's just another reminder that who Jesus is and what he's done. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to come and join us. It's pretty much simple, that simple. If there's been a time and a place in your life where you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, you're welcome to come. But don't come alone. We like to, we like to gather around the table in groups five, six, seven, something like that, because we're a family because of what Jesus has done. So if you come alone, maybe let someone grab you and come with them, but um, let's continue to worship the Lord, but by pausing and reflecting on his great gift. Please stand. <laughs>